Hi everyone! Welcome to Extra Help with Inside Schools. I'm Tom Liam Lynch. In the previous episode, we looked at a letter from the mayor and chancellor posted over the weekend. In it, they made five commitments to New York City families, including things like increasing homeschooling support and the quality of instructional resources. While I shared some thoughts on four of the commitments, I left the final one for a separate episode. And here we are. Let's look more closely at it now. Before we get into the fifth one, let's just review real quick too what those first four were. So first, they said every student who has requested an internet-enabled device will have one by the end of April. Number two, we will make sure that parents can ask and get answers to their questions about remote learning. Number three, we'll continue to invest in instructional resources, enrichment programs, and student supports for your families to engage in learning at home. Number four, we will ensure every high school senior is supported toward graduation. Now those were the first four. Here's the fifth in its entirety. We will reopen schools stronger than ever in September, ensuring the safety of our buildings and the resources in place to combat any learning loss and provide emotional support to our students, families, and educators as needed to resume learning and reconnect with our communities. Okay, so this raises a question. And the big question is like, what should and could schools look like in the fall? And if it seems like, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and fall is going to be really tricky, uh, I think actually there's, there's a reason to think it could be even trickier than we think. Um, and there's because it's two main scenarios in terms of reopening schools in the fall. The first one is that is if like schools return to a traditional model um, that they've you know been used to in the past. So everybody's going to school at the same time for 180 days. Um, but the second scenario is that schools can't return to that traditional model and they need an alternative. And that that scenario it has everything to do with how well the coronavirus kind of is handled um, regionally and whether or not there are surges as you know as cases start going down if we start seeing resurges and it might not make a lot of sense um, from a public health perspective to send over a million students back into what we know to be crowded classrooms so let's look first though at the traditional model let's assume that everything you know is 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 handled well and and we and we um, are able to return to schools like you know what are some of the the big considerations that that uh, that schools need to be considering and as a result that families sh- should kind of be listening for in terms of the way that school leaders and district leaders are talking about that return to school so the first thing to um, to kind of listen for are serious plans to attend to students social and emotional needs um, and that means creating a space at each school where students and teachers and, and staff and administrators can really process like what has happened um, with the you know with the loss of a significant part of the previous year um, there will be families and communities who will be grieving um, perhaps still the loss of loved ones and community members there also needs to be a space there for students to reconnect with each other in that context to catch up um, you know it's it we can't assume that students are necessarily you know using digital devices constantly to stay in the loop with each other like there's going to need to be some serious social emotional time um, just to reconnect with each other to reestablish norms and expectations 
Um, there also needs to be a space within schools to address fears and concerns. And fears and concerns can manifest themselves in lots of different ways with young people, you know, and it could be in forms of acting out, for example, or it could be, you know, um, just a, a kind of a turning within where, there, where students aren't very, um, aren't very engaged or don't appear to be very engaged in the classroom. But there needs to be some serious plans to attend to social emotional needs. And that's, and I would argue that's kind of, that's priority one if schools go back the way um, to the, you know, to the normal uh, model. Number two within that scenario is that <clears throat> there have to be some significant plans to assess where students are in terms of what they have learned and what they need to be retaught or what needs to be reinforced. So, they're, they're, whether it's it's batteries of assessments or whether it's you know each school kind of figuring out for themselves like how they're going to determine that or each teacher, I would str- I would strongly suggest that it not be left just to individual teachers and in schools to figure out. While though I respect the autonomy of individual teachers and in schools, um, the there needs to be something more scaled and systematic in place to have a baseline assessment for where are students in terms of what they learned previously. That's also assuming that everyone just gets passed on to the next grade, which <clears throat> I don't think there's a compelling case to not do that, um, given what we're seeing nationally and in, and in the city. The next important step is to map like the curricula, the standards, and the assessments within a school across grades if that hasn't been done already. And this is something that some schools have and they have done well. Lots of schools have bits and pieces of it, but every school really needs kind of a, a, a soup to nuts understanding of what are all of our curricular goals per grade, per subject? How do they relate with standards? And how do they inform different kinds of assessments, both high stakes and low stakes assessments? Um, it, it'll be more important than ever that every school um, have a confident curriculum map that includes those different kinds of, um, of, uh, of traits. And the reason for it is because um, it's this model of going back to school, regardless of whether it's the traditional scenario or an alternative model, it's it's going to require um, teachers to be really attuned to like all that students are supposed to have known and what the little things are that they might be missing, the content, the skills, whatever it might be. And the only way you can do that confidently is if you have um, proper curriculum mapping in place, at least in my experience, you know, without that, you're, you know, you uh, you're flying blind. The next thing to consider in terms of reopening schools from a, a, for a traditional model would be to identify differentiation methods to ensure that all, and ensure that all teachers are prepared to support an array of student learning needs. Now, of course, teachers should always be prepared to support an array of student learning needs. However, what will almost certainly happen is you're going to have, you know, most students getting passed on, if not all getting passed on, say, from fifth to sixth grade. Um, if the school's done due diligence, then they will have a sense, they'll have a baseline assessment in place. They'll, they'll know what their curriculum map looks like so that they can, so that the sixth grade teacher can see really clearly in fifth grade, this is what they were supposed to have learned. And now I, as a sixth grade teacher, need to, you know, I need to make sure that I know what's most important from fifth grade and I, that I need to reteach now. That's just to make it really clear, like that's that's really hard for teachers who are used to teaching at particular grade levels or who don't particular who don't necessarily work in a school where there's a lot of cross pollination and communication with teachers across grades Um, so that the every teacher will be 
necessarily in a position where they have to differentiate at a level that they have probably not had to do before. And that means identifying which groups of students in the class like are all caught up in terms of, let's say, what they needed to learn in fifth grade, and they can focus on moving toward the sixth grade content, which students like need additional help there. Of course, there'll be students with different um, learning needs or special learning needs that might need to be attended to, uh, language learning needs, all of that like is, you know, comes with it as well. But the, the crux of it when, I, when I'm talking about differentiation here, in addition to those other forms of differentiation, it's specifically that idea that like you you cannot assume that a sixth grade teacher knows what the fifth grade teacher was teaching in any sort of detail. Some schools will know that, some won't, and that that's especially the case when you get to secondary ed in like six through twelve or seven through twelve, where it becomes more about content areas. Um, moving on. Um, and finally, schools will, will absolutely need to audit their successes and challenges with online learning um, and develop digital learning plans. That is a, it's a non-negotiable that I think the central offices and districts can support thoroughly, but also that needs to be tweaked for each school because it's so dependent on like devices and bandwidth and things like that. But this includes use of technology in the classroom. It includes use of technology for blended learning. So, you know, models of using technology where there's there's a technology being used, but it's to complement what's happening in the classroom and it's trying to like expand one's exposure to it. So, for example, it could be like using discussion boards, for instance, um, as a way to continue classroom conversation. Um, and there needs to be uh, also attention paid to the use of technology for remote learning. Um, and those are th those are really th three very different things. Um, and while they can interrelate and you can use some of the same technologies for them, like schools really need to step back and say, like, how well did we do here? What were some of the systems that worked? And what are some of the structures we need to be put in place? We need to put in place um, to ensure that, you know, we're better prepared for this kind of thing in the future. Um, I should also just note there that we... It, it, we shouldn't confuse what we're observing now um, with the kind of crisis response to corona. You shouldn't confuse that with what remote learning is actually like what it looks like. This isn't what remote learning is supposed to look like at all. Um, it's you know typically you would plan a class to be taught in an online environment or in a remote environment and you would you plan a course really differently when you're um, when you know it's going to be online there's a lot of training and support that goes in for teachers there's a lot of assessments and data that can be used very smartly within a, re a proper remote learning environment with a properly designed remote course that is by and large not what we're seeing at all um, with the way in which the the schools are responding to the crisis there's reasons for that which you know i've, I've discussed at other times so, taking a breath, that's all just related to the scenario of like schools actually going back to normal. Um, there are also reasons to consider alternative models. Um, in any of the alternative models, and there's, there's a couple of main ones, I think, um, all of the above applies as well. That's all of the social, emotional, and curricular and instructional work that needs to happen regardless. Um, but the question remains like what happens if it's not actually a good idea for 1.1 million students to go back to overcrowded schools and there's a few reasons to think that you know it might not be probable but it's possible um, and this, you know, if you look around at headlines of the way in which the the pandemic is being handled by different governments, um, you know, you, you can just see that it doesn't it doesn't go away. 
you know it's not a it's not a hurricane that kind of passes right and it's over um it's it's very different um it can resurge at different times once different sorts of restrictions are getting loosened if there's a lot of testing and there's testing that can be done to help ensure that you know that um only those who are showing sign who actually have the virus you know are quarantined or like there's different ways that it can all work but it's really varying com- country to country and it depends a lot on the quality of kind of government response and people's heeding of government regulations and 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 edicts and things like that um so there could absolutely be you know virus resurges for example um there could certainly be like a flattening of the curve but it doesn't totally go away in a way that public health officials are um comfortable with um and there's also of course just in new york city like it's a it's a big city um and it's a dense city and so what happens there you know if if again if we're just if we're not quite confident enough in having eradicated the virus to the point where sending uh 1.1 million students back to school is just an inherently good idea like what do we do um so you know there's there's are a few things that other countries have talked about i know korea was one i was reading about um not too long ago um but one of the main mo- you know there's kind of i guess there's probably two main models that um could be alternatives like one would be to make the judgment call to continue remote learning um just into the fall and if that was the decision then there would be you'd want to ensure that the quality of remote learning is significantly better than what we're seeing um currently supported by the central offices now another model could be that you have kind of an on again off again scenario where half the students go to school on you know mondays and the other half are doing remote work at home and then half those those then they flip flop on the next day um where the other half go to school and the other half do remote learning And that kind of model could be um could be an interesting one to try for the older grades especially it could be a, it could be one that you know officials might just want to pilot anyway to get a sense of whether um it's more effective for some students um one of the tricks with that version of schooling would be that you know families would still have to plan for who's going to like who's going to cover childcare duty when when there's remote learning and so as a result that the one of the drawbacks of that model is if you try to impose it on a 5 day a week schedule it gets a little tricky because it's um you know because it's going to it's going to mean that one of the groups get more gets more schooling than the other um and so it it blends itself more to a 4 day or a 6 day per week model where you can ensure everybody gets the same number of face to face time and remote time um so these are the kinds of things that should very much be i think on the public radar um and hopefully the school officials are 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 seriously considering now and the reason it matters now is because you know no matter what teachers are going to need a tremendous amount of support in the fall um and if if it's anything that that's even if it goes back to to traditional learning and if it's anything other than that if it's an alternative model of any sort then there's a lot of legwork that needs to be put in uh, between now and then and there's and this is really an opportunity for the central offices to step up and to you know to put together strategic resources that can that can make all of this just more manageable um and i think i've said in another episode one of the main things that's emerging now as i see what's you know 
know, kind of coming out um, in terms of instructional resources is like it isn't just about instructional resources or links to things. Um, the teachers need um, instructional models or templates as well. They, and it's not, I think I likened it in the last episode to like you can give people water, but you have to give them a glass to put it in. And just giving links and resources is, is akin to just, you know, providing water, but like no glass. So the sooner we acknowledge this possibility, the sooner we can all start allocating resources to plan for it uh, in a way that's efficient, that's strategic, and that's also, that's proactive. All right, that's all for this episode, but our engagement doesn't have to stop here. We have lots of resources and tools over at InsideSchools.org where you can find independent reviews of city schools and sign up for our weekly newsletter, also see the show notes for that link to the newsletter you'll find us pretty active over on facebook as well and twitter um finally please consider subscribing to our podcast and if the spirit moves you leave us some feedback it means a lot until next time i'm tom liam lynch and i'll see you online